folks very much such dear friends and I love their 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 love for the things of God and the people of God. It certainly needs no introduction for the Ballester to come and he has the challenge of preaching out the old year and preaching in the new. Or if he wishes he may stop sometime before then and we'll just go eat. <laughs> so however the Holy Ghost leads uh preach the rest of the year or anything between that hearing that so whatever want him to come obey the Holy Ghost as I said last night our obligation is to receive the word of the Lord to be ready to receive the word of the Lord and I want us right now lift the hands up to the Lord Jesus ask him to give us ears to hear the word of God as preaching My God, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Blessed God, my Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus. I thank you, Pastor, and praise the Lord, everyone. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still, it ain't never going to change. The only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Are you glad you've been baptized in Jesus' name? Why don't we give that Lord a hand clap? Thank you, Jesus. The Bible said we'll be hated of all men for his name's sake. Not because we got the Holy Ghost talking in tongues. But when you get baptized in Jesus' name, that separates you from everything else. We're the people with the name. I'm so glad for that. I want to say thank you to your dear pastor and his wife for the so the, the hospitality. They're so thoughtful. So the man just goes the second and third and fourth mile and um, being hospitable. You know, that the Bible said if a man would be a bishop, he must be given to hospitality. Some places, they, they use, it must be the NIV or something. They think it says hostility. But, but Brother Pixler has been just the dearest of friends to me. And I tell everybody everywhere I go will let me have a chance to talk about friends that I love Pastor Pixler. Uh, he, he's about the age of my oldest son, but I tell you what, he, he has a special gift in calling upon him that nobody knows about it like this church knows about it. And I want you to know you've been blessed to have had the kind of pastoral leadership you've had here over the years. Thank you, Jesus. You know what? You've been standing a long time. I'm going to let you hunker down a little bit. Is, is that a word that I can use here? Y'all know what hunker means, don't you? You may be seated. God seats you. You may be blessed.
Lord, we had church last night. I like John Padgett. He's a Christian gentleman, and uh, year-round folks. You, you, you know, if I went to an accountant and had him add up all I'm worth, he probably could write it all down, do all his work on the back of a business card. But when you start adding the value of friends and what that means to you, I think a man's worth is, is he's enriched by his friends. And I feel like a very rich man to have come in contact with men that have been represented already in this conference. I want to give special recognition and honor to the, the bishop of this church, Bishop Pixler, who heard I was going to preach tonight, decided to stay home. But I want to honor him anyway. <laughs> he, he really didn't. All right, I guess. <laughs> Duty called and he, he responded. But I, I, I love this whole Pixler family and extended family. But you know what? I like you because you love the book and you love worship. I think there needs to be some teeter in your totter. There has to be a balance and y'all are easy to preach to. And I, I, I count it an honor to be here. Sister Honey and myself have looked forward to this for the longest. I would tell you that, that since I have seen you, I have entered into a miracle ministry. I used to just be a word preacher, but now I'm into miracle ministries. And it's a new dimension. I normally get bigger offerings now because of this miracle ministry that I... <laughs> I was preaching. I was preaching in my brother-in-law's church in uh, Merced. He runs about I don't know. There's six, seven hundred people there. I was sitting on the altar preaching, and I had a couple of guys down there illustrating with them. Okay, illustrating for all you sophisticated folks. But there was a lady in the church in her fifties who had glasses on, and she, poor thing. And she had one eye that peeked up at you over the top and one eye that peeked at you under, underneath it. And, and you know, I ought not to be talking about folks because, you know, I, one day God looked at the angel and said, let's play a joke on Ballastero. Let's suck all the hair off the top of his head and blow it out his nose and his ears. Some of y'all act like you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But Sister Donna had on one of these sleeper kind of t-shirts with words and pictures on it. She was in her 50s, and she uh, needed more garments on than what she actually had. But she was—that's the best way I know to say that. <laughs> And little kids were marveling, and she had, I don't know, Jesus' precious little lamb or something on her chest here in the picture of a lamb, and she looked uh, 
real strained, and she just got up out of the seat and walked down and got right up in the middle of my, my illustration and sat down right beside me. I said, praise the Lord, how y'all doing? And, and so we started to keep on preaching. I'm going to be signing autographs out in the, uh, the vestibule right after service here. Uh, I got done, and I, I excused all my folks. I said, y'all may be seated. And we all jumped up and clapped our hands up pretty good. And I went over and preached over here for two or three more minutes. And I come back, and Sister Donna's still sitting there. I mean, the the cross and guards were down, and the lights were blinking, but the train wasn't coming. She was she was... She just sat there, and I thought, oh, God, how do I get rid of this woman and, and not make a bigger problem than what I've already got? I'm talking about a miracle ministry. I, I haven't lost track of that. And I turned to the crowd, and I said, how many of you would like to see a miracle tonight? Every 600 people raised their hand. And I said, Sister Donna, would you like to see a miracle? She said, oh, my God, yes. I said, give me your hand. She gave me her hand. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And I jerked her up off of that, that altar rail. She jumped and said, oh! And everybody hollered and cheered and clapped their hands, and she went on back to the seat. That was on a Wednesday. They was introducing me Friday night to preach, and she jumped up. She said, I want to say something. For three years, I've had pain in my shoulder. Brother Ballesteros said Wednesday night, anybody here? Want to see a miracle? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Said, pain went out of my body, and I have been pain-free for three days. She said, I want to thank God for a miracle. And I looked at my brother-in-law, and I said, when I would do evil, good is present with me. <laughs> so if I've got a miracle ministry, it's an accident. So <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm so glad to be here. I feel like having church here tonight. Hey, oh, that's all right. Give a Lord a hand clap of praise. Your pastor got up and cast a vision a while ago about what he hopes to see done in the Holy Ghost for this church in the year 2004. I hope to God it's not just running in one ear and out the other. But you picked up and caught the burden of what he was saying. I promise you, you're going to hear some more about that from him. Now the Bible said two can't walk together except they be agreed. And that means you got to agree on the destination. When my son-in-law, who is a wonderful son-in-law, but when he asked for my daughter's hand in marriage, I said, why do you want to marry her? <laughs> he said, because I love her. I said, that ain't good enough. And he kind of blanched because he thought that that was good enough. I said, no. Bible said two can't walk together except they be agreed. you got to agree on the destination. If you want to go to Walmart and she wants to go to Kmart, y'all ain't going to last long together. you got to agree on where you're going. And I tell you what, you don't have an agenda here. I don't have an agenda here. All we're interested in this place is God's agenda. And so when we have a pastor that can hear from God, that we want to have an ear to hear what the Spirit has to say. I'm believing to hear great things in the days ahead happening right here in Fort Worth, Texas. Amen. 
got to he got to covering so many subjects. I turned around to the brother behind me. I said, "He ain't leaving me nothing." I said, "If I'm not here, tell him I went to Burger King." And then I listened, and I kind of felt like Brother Minnesota Fats. I think that's what his name, a pool player. And I don't know even how to hold a cue stick, so don't get upset. Now, this is just a story that I heard, so deal with it. They said in the championship playoff that his opponent broke the the, uh, the balls there, and and. and he walked around, and he looked at him. The guy got done shooting. He walked around, and they said, He didn't leave you much, did he? He walked around the table, and he walked around the table, and looked at it, and walked around the table, and he said, Just enough. So you left me just enough, and I'm going to go with that just enough here tonight. He preached last night on it is enough, and then you left me just enough. And then after tonight, you're all going to be saying, I've had enough. <laughs> One more time, would you stand with me as we turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 12. How many going to help me preach tonight? I've got a lot of pages of notes up here, but don't let it scare you. I'm not going to stand here and deal with it. I don't think. Book of Exodus, chapter 12, and I want to begin reading with verse number 3. Those of you that don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the monitor. Speak ye. <laughs> and all the congregation of Israel saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Look at this. Well, let me just go ahead and keep reading. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall strike it, they shall take it of the blood and strike it on the two side post and on the upper post, a doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And everyone said, Amen. Heavenly Father, we invite your blessing upon the remainder of this service. Would you be pleased to have your way? Speak to our hearts tonight. Speak to my spirit, my lips, my very being. Help me, O oh God, to minister to this thy people, to be a blessing and a help to somebody in the house tonight. I pray, God, that you'll have your way in this service. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Clap your hands to the Lord, would you please? God bless your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to look at these scriptures with me again. Verse 3 starts out and says, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man 
a lamb. Everybody say, a lamb. Verse 4. And if the household be too little for the lamb. Everybody say, the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Everybody say, your lamb. I want you to notice a progression here. It starts out being a generic lamb without description. Just some lamb out on the hillside yonder in somebody's back 40. But once they go out and you select and you choose that lamb and you bring it to the house and you lock it up in a pen, that lamb was locked up. They choose it on the 10th day. It's locked up to the 14th day. That is the same length of time that Jesus, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, was in Jerusalem before he was crucified. Interesting. I see that they call it the Lamb when you have it at your house. That's, that's the Lamb. But after this Lamb has passed inspection, and you select this as... This is the one that I'm going to use. This is the one we're going to kill. This is the one that's going to shed its blood. And we're going to eat this lamb and put the blood over the doorpost. It becomes your lamb. You see, until... Well, how should I say this? He, If he hasn't done anything for you, he's just a savior. He's just a healer. He's just a deliverer. But once he becomes your God, he, he's, he's your savior. He's your doctor. He's your lawyer. He's your helper. He's your friend. I say we need to have him become ours and not just something out yonder there. Aren't you glad for a personal experience? Aren't you glad for a no-soul salvation? Hallelujah to God. I am intrigued with these words in verse number 5, for which I would choose to draw my subject tonight. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. It could be anywhere from eight days old to one year old. This little lamb that weighs approximately seven pounds at birth. They, they didn't have training on how do we choose a lamb. They didn't have Courses taught in school on how do you find blemishes. In life. God hadn't asked that before. All he'd asked before then was just give me the first one you got. But now he's saying, I want a perfect one. And they were having to deal with finding a perfect lamb. And uh, that's, that, that dilemma is what I want to talk about. That's what has me intrigued. And I want to preach tonight by the help of the Holy Ghost on examine. The lamb. You see, here were people who were uneducated. Uh, they had various tastes. You, you can understand what I'm talking about. You go to somebody's house and you look at the pictures on the wall. You wonder, oh Lord, what yard sale did they find that at? It, what looks good to them may not look good to you. You all know what I'm talking about? See, I, I'm bilingual. I can say y'all and I can say you guys. Beauty lies in the eyes of the beholder. I've had dudes tell me how beautiful their girlfriend was and I looked at her 
And I prayed for them. But in his eyes, she was a... Mm-mm-mm-mm. That's what I'm talking about. So what looks perfect to you may not look perfect to me. Now, my wife is meticulous about almost everything except husbands. But she... I tried to be an editor for a few years, and we had the old cut-and-paste matter. That's before desktop publishing. And you have to look at those lines. I took architectural, uh, I took drafting, and I took commercial art and design. So I see lines that don't run straight. My eyes just go to those kinds of things. I see that. If a picture's not straight, I notice that. If, if my wife... She's printed off maybe 10,000 pictures on the, on the printer of grandbabies and making albums and have, well, it seems like 10,000, give or take a million either way. And, and, and I would have to have that thing centered and I would have to have that perfect because people are going to know I did this and my name is attached to it and I want it to be right. And some of y'all are going to live longer than I'm going to live because I got this little phobia that I'm worried about it being perfect. Some people just would bring anything to the Lord, and Cain found out the hard way that that's not how God operates. So I'm telling you, God said, I want you to find a lamb without blemish. Before I go any further, why don't I just jump over to the scripture that Brother Pixler messed up for me? In 1 Peter chapter... (laughs) We're friends. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Why don't I just read down through verse number 20? And uh, let's, let's pick up where it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. We're so glad to have you ladies here tonight. It's only 8.32, but we appreciate you trying. As silver and gold from your vain conversation. See why I'm not pastoring anymore? (laughs) Won't nobody have me. (laughs) If I hadn't passed that Bob Carnegie course, I probably wouldn't get preached at all. The word conversation has to do with your conduct and your lifestyle. So he said, it's basically saying you got it from your worthless lifestyle, which you received by tradition from your daddies. But you were redeemed, he said, with the precious. And when I use the word precious, when the book says the word precious, every wonderful and glorious definition of the word precious you can come up with, that's exactly what it means and some more besides. With the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish. There is that word blemish again. Sixty times the word blemish is mentioned in God's word. Six being the number of man, ten being the number of judgment. Ten times six comes up with sixty. When there's blemishes, there's got to be judgment. God is saying, if we got a blemish, we have to find a way to get around the judgment because the soul that sinneth, it shall die. But God's not going to let you face judgment alone. He's going to make sure you got a way out of the dilemma. He's going to make sure you got a way out of the problem. Somebody ought to get happy about the fact that there's a God who's not going to leave you standing high and dry. <laughs> oh, go ahead and praise Him here tonight. Yeah. 
as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for you, for you, for you, and for me. Somebody ought to get happy about that. If I say anything while I'm here, if any preacher says anything during this meeting that crosses what this pastor teaches, you forget what these preachers say. This is the man that answers to God for you. I would never do it knowingly. You understand that? But from what I can understand in my limited understanding of God's Word, I believe that's telling me that the great architect sat down with his blueprint and the first thing he began to draw on that blueprint was a cross. And he began to work both ways on that cross. Because the book said we were, he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. I do not believe that what happened in the Garden of Eden caught him by surprise. And he said, oh my, my, now what do I do? I need to get a band-aid and put it on that puppy right now. That's not what God did. It did not catch him by surprise. He knew you were going to be flesh and blood. He knew you were going to have weaknesses. He knew you were going to fumble and stumble around and not hardly be able to get through life without some kind of problem. But he said, I got a solution for you. And I want to preach tonight on examine the Lamb. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house right now. Let, let, let me tell you something. I, you, you may be seated. I know this is a New Year's Eve service. But I'm going to tell you where I'm going to go with this. If you can ever feel forgiven. If you can ever feel that God's mercy covers all your yesterdays. honey, There's no limit to what you can do. Some of you, the devil's kept from progressing in God because you know, you kept in the altar. You stayed under a place called condemnation and guilt. But I'm here to tell you there's hope for somebody in the house tonight. I'm getting ready to sound like a Baptist preacher, so just hang on to your hat. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. Here is Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. My wife and I, back in the 60s, stopped in an old record shop, Joliet, Indiana. And it had, back in the days when they used to have preaching sermons on those big old vinyl desks, you know. And there was one sermon called, Come Out of the Bushes. I, said, I, I, don't, I, I bought it just because I like this title. I never did try to preach it, but some of us need to come out of the bushes. We've been hiding from God long enough. Lord, i got to hide from that too. That I need to wear a hat while I'm preaching here. Bald-headed people can tell where something's blowing do you, do you know that Adam and... No, I, I, no, leave it on. Please, please. I like air. Please, oh, yes, I like air. I just don't want to be under the spout where the air comes out. <laughs> Glory I can handle. Air is another thing. <laughs> 
okay, so I'm complicated. Deal with it. Check this out. God comes down to talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And sin made them hide. And God... Listen, sin has a way of exposing itself. You don't have to go ratting somebody out. God knows how to find you in all your mess. He can just come sneaking zero in on you. And you know what? When he saw the problem, his after he got done talking to them, and after judgment got pronounced, God's not oh God doesn't God's not going to put a good housekeeping a seal of approval upon you and all your dirty rotten deals and just well, well that's okay darling all is forgiven I want you to know God still deals with judgment oh yes He does but I'm telling you even in His judgment He won't be angry all day He oh God knows how to turn and be merciful to you that's how you and I have made it this long. You're not deserving of His mercy. You're not deserving of His kindness. You're not deserving of His... Oh, we're not deserving of His love. All I can say is, God, I thank You. I'm in the house tonight. People with more talent, more ability than you and me have gone on down the road. But I thank God we're still here. I thank God we're still in the house. I thank God we're still going on. It's not because of your goodness. It's not because of my goodness. It's because of His mercy. There's a Kleenex box over there. Would you give me that, please, brother? That's the best I can do for a lamb here. He got a little lamb. And blood was shed in the garden. You remember that as long as you live? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. If you don't understand that, without the shedding of blood, there's no way out for you. There's no hope for you. Oh, that's why we believe in baptizing in Jesus' name. Because when you get baptized in Jesus' name, something happens to those sins. Honey, blood was shed for you and me. What are you here? And he took those skin and he covered. See, they had made little fig leaves and tried to cover themselves up. It wasn't sufficient. And he covered what the Bible called the shame of their nakedness. Now, you remember what this bald-headed preacher is telling you tonight. The first time sin is mentioned in the book, shame is associated with it. And we're living in a day when folks aren't ashamed anymore. They can't blush anymore. We used to laugh at somebody my wife and I knew was getting close to 60 years old. And uh, she's still living with her mom dad. Had an upstairs apartment. Mother come up and saw her old daughter that was uh, overweight. And didn't care about keeping herself up. She was getting ready for bed, changing something, and she hadn't pulled one of the blinds or something. Mother said, pull the blinds. She said, oh, Mom, you get so old. If you don't pull the blinds, the neighbors will. And there are some folks that have no shame. They, you don't like it, just turn your head is the mindset that this world has. This is my life, and I'm going to live it. 
God had a problem with Israel because they couldn't blush. And I worry about a generation growing up that don't know how to get embarrassed and don't know how to blush before the presence of God. But they begin to condone themselves. We're living in a generation they teach you in your school. It's up to you however you feel about it. If it's okay, then it's okay. I'm telling you, if the book says it's not okay, it's not okay. Every generation has to get this for yourself. You can't hang on to mom and dad's coattail. You all know you can't. You got to get it for yourself. Here's what happened. Covered the shame of their nakedness. Now here's where my Baptist side's going to come out. Y'all ready? They didn't do one thing except stand there. He did it all. So that no flesh can glory in his presence and say, I worked out my own salvation. There ain't nothing you can do. It's not good English, but there ain't nothing you can do anyhow to get your sin problem fixed. He does it all. It's not by works, lest any man should boast. But what we have has been a gift of God to us. Somebody rejoice. Somebody needs to get happy in the Holy Ghost here. In the blueprint of God, back in, before time began, He said, I know what I'm going to do. They can't fix their problem by themselves. So I'm going to have to go to my closet and get me a pair of bib overalls, cold flesh. I'm going to come down and be born of a virgin. Her flesh, my blood. And I'm going to walk the shores of Galilee for 33 and a half years. I'm going to go to a Calvary and stretch out my arms and die for them. I'm going to cover the shame of their nakedness. I'm going to be a lamb without blemish. Oh, don't you try to make him less than holy. Don't you try to say that he was tempted with this and tempted with that and tempted with something else. I want you to know he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. The book said, get without sin. Oh, my God. I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be their redeemer, their savior. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Pick up on this by the time you get to Romans chapter 5. I ought not to even read from the book of Romans while I'm in this church. But by the time you get to verse number 6, the Bible says we were without strength. Verse 8 says we were sinners. Verse 10 says we were the enemies of God. I'm trying to tell you when he went to Calvary, he died for you. It wasn't because you earned it, because you was good, because you were wonderful. We didn't have any strength. We couldn't stand up. We, we couldn't live above temptation. Oh, not only that, but we were sinners. Not only that, but we were enemies of God. But He still loved us enough to go to Calvary for us. We haven't earned His mercy. He did it because He loved you. Huh? Just let me tell you this much before I get any further. If you're in the house tonight and you want to take advantage of His mercy, it's the easiest thing in the world.
All you have to do is what they did on the day of Pentecost. Repent of your sins. Tell him you're sorry. When you get baptized in the name of Jesus, that lamb's blood from that perfect lamb without blemish washes away your sins. And God promised to fill you with his spirit and you will speak with other tongues when you get the Holy Ghost just like they did on the day of Pentecost. Anybody got the Holy Ghost in the house tonight? Next time I see a lamb, I see a man of, of any significance. I see a man named Abraham with his retarded son Isaac and they're climbing a mountain. They've gone a long ways. It wasn't a short journey. And Isaac said, Uh, Dad, uh, here's fire. You know, there's wood. Um, uh, where's sacrifice? He, he wasn't no little young whippersnapper. He was old enough to, you know, check things out. But they went a long ways before he figured out there's only three things we've got to have to get this going, and we're missing one of them. Kind of like I walked into a restaurant, and they said to me one time, how many? There's two of us. I said, I don't know. I can't count that high either. He, he wouldn't count very high. It just... Abraham answered him, I think like a daddy. Lord, I know what that's like. I got five youngins, beautiful youngins my wife gave me. Hallelujah. And they have, we have ten grandbabies under the age of eight. My nephew, whom I'm a father figure to, him and his wife, and their two kids under the age of eight. My mom and a couple sisters all showed up at my place we had down in Gatlinburg for <clears throat> family day. Uh, I wore red, if that means anything to anybody here. <laughs> you can preach against Christmas if you want to. Christmas trees, Christmas lights, Christmas cards. Just put the present in my hand. I don't care what I do. <laughs> we had 31 sitting around that table. And my quiver was full and there's some arrows laying on the ground. We just, we loaded up. I know how a daddy and a pawpaw would think. You get real defensive. These are my babies. And I want to believe that the daddy in Abraham was coming to the front. He was wanting God to do a miracle and save his son. But I also believe that the spirit of prophecy got on Abraham as he looked up yonder at the hill looked at his boy and said, God will provide himself. He, he wasn't doing it that way, but I'm doing it that way from this point of view. When he said God will provide himself a lamb, he was just hoping the lamb would show up some way. But I, when I read it, I read where God was going to provide himself as the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Hallelujah. Are you glad you know who Jesus is? You see, every time you looked at the tabernacle, it was a showcase 
of the Lamb. They tell me, this is, this is just what little bit of reading I've been able to do, and I, I can't even verify where I got my facts, or my information, I guess I should say, instead of facts. But they tell me that there were times when they would offer up tens of thousands of sacrifices on special feast days in Israel, and down the front steps of that old temple, blood would run and run across the porch and out across the walkways there and into the brook Kidron was just, just out in front. That was the same brook that Jesus had to cross over when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. I wonder if he saw that. This is just a, I, I'm not preaching this for doctrine. I'm just saying I wonder if that brook was discolored with blood the night he crossed over it. I don't know. I've. I'm just waving a coat in front of you. <laughs> if you wouldn't hear it, never mind. <laughs> but let me tell you something. From what I can read, there were men who spent their lives studying about lambs. We read about folks like Pharisees and Sadducees and... and uh, there were zealots and scribes and folks that were doctors of the law. And these folks were students. They were very astute. And what did they study? Did they just, you know, try to read the scriptures and come up with a nice homily for, for the Sabbath day or something? They read about fasting. They read about wearing of apparel. Do you know that Israel delighted in its holiness? Oh, they, there was different kinds of clothes they couldn't mix. They couldn't mix wool and linen or cotton. And they, they, could, they couldn't mix that kind of stuff. I find where they, they complained about the food and they complained about the leadership, but you read where Israel ever complained. Show me where they ever complained about the holiness, and I'll be very surprised I've not found it yet. Nowadays, that's one of the first things folks want to complain about is the holiness. And they didn't even have the Holy Ghost. I want to believe, from what I can read, there were 50, Adam Clark says there was 50 checkpoints that they made on a lamb before they sacrificed it. Two other commentaries say there was as many as 73 things that they checked looking for perfection. You see, when a man brought a lamb, why don't you come here and help me out tonight, brother? A man brought a lamb to be offered He's already done his inspection. To him, that looked good. But before that priest is going to sacrifice it, he has to make his own checkpoints. I'm going to go with Adam Clark, who says that there were 50 just because it's the least. He says that there was this at least 25 checkpoints just on the head. What did they... They, they studied... Not only the various laws about this and that and customs of what is proper, but they were intrigued about finding a lamb because if they could find a lamb that was perfect, their sins would be forgiven. And I'm telling you, that's the same message I'm preaching tonight. Look at this. They said 
History tells me that there was five things just about the ear that they checked out on the lamb. Uh, the ears on that thing looked like a taxi cab coming down the road. His doors wide open, you know. No, they had to check out. They had three things about the eyelids. Eight things about the eye. Was it cross-eyed, wall-eyed, bug-eyed, squinty-eyed? What kind? They had to check that out. Three things about the nose. If I was a lamb, I'd have been disqualified. Six things about the mouth. Was it was it overbite, underbite? Check it out. Did it have eczema? Did it have scabies, deformities, scratches, scars? The confirmation, was it bow-legged? Was it knock-kneed? Did the feet turn out? Did the feet turn in? Was the top line straight? They checked the lamb out. I want you to get this. They checked it out from the front to the back, the top to the bottom. I've got a 50-minute message I actually, I got a, a three-minute message. It just takes me 50 minutes to get there, okay? So I don't want you to miss my one point. I got one point. Please, so please don't miss my one point. It's getting ready to come. I'm going to... And turn him around. So no, you're going to hell. They did not check the man out. They checked the lamb out. And if the lamb passed inspection, he was forgiven, no matter what he had done, because he found a perfect lamb. I'm telling you, you're not on trial. I'm not on trial. It's the Lamb that's on trial. And honey, if you can find the perfect Lamb, you are forgiven. Oh, somebody ought to get happy down in your soul about the fact you found the Lamb. Sit down. Thank you, Jesus. I can't pass inspection. Ballesterro, what are you doing with your arm like that when you come to church? I can't pass inspection. I know me. I know how I think. I know how I feel. But devil, you accuser of the brethren... Look what I got. I got me a lamb. This one's perfect. Woo! Honey, it's a slam duck. My forgiveness is a slam duck. I've been forgiven. I'm going to be forgiven. I've got me a perfect lamb. <laughs> I'm going to be forgiven. I've got a perfect lamb. I've got a perfect lamb. It's mine. It's mine. I found it myself. I got it. It passes inspection. Since you know you can't pass inspection, God help you if you start inspecting your brother and examining your sister and looking for flaws one in another. You can't pass. They can't pass. You hear me? The same lamb that forgave you is willing to forgive them. So you keep your eyes off of your brother's problems and get your eyes off of your sister's problems and get your eyes on the lamb and say, God, I found the lamb. 
Hallelujah. He said, I'm going to tell a story I've told here before. It fits so good. I hate to. I'm going to just give you some leftovers. My wife gives them to me. She said, if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. Had a woman named Barbara White went to my church. She had a brother-in-law who was backslid. I think she said 14 times. Bob. Oh, Bob. Backslid so many times he felt like God wouldn't forgive him anymore. I just tell somebody right now, and I don't know why I feel like saying this, but one of the oldest tricks that the devil ever uses is that there's no hope for you, that God doesn't love you, that he won't forgive you, that you've crossed the invisible line, and you are doomed and damned forever, and you just might as well not ever try to come to church anymore. Well, let me go ahead and tell another story while I'm in the middle of this one. I'm, this is a no-no, all right? I, when I, I was independent for a few years, and I went to a meeting across town for me, and we had a guy come in from about 400 miles away and preach. He got up and said, don't you ever sin, because if you ever sin, the Bible said there remaineth no more sacrifice for you. He said, you're fixing the bus tail wide open. Don't ever think one thing you shouldn't think. Say one thing you shouldn't say. Do one thing you shouldn't do. Are you fixing to go to hell? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Or something like that. I don't know how, how I said it. Anyway, I took my wagon off the board. A wheelbarrow, whatever piece of I had on there. And I got to looking at six of my young couples sitting there, and I thought, oh, God. As full of mischief as some of those kids are. They think one thing or say one thing they shouldn't do. They won't even bother coming back to church Sunday. We got tomorrow, Saturday. They won't, they're going to mess up, I know, Saturday. They can't make it to Sunday. And they just say, well, what's the use? I'm not going to be saved anyway. So I, I got to fix this before we get out of church. And yet I'm in somebody else's church, and I don't want to tear their church up. And then I thought about it and said, yeah, I do. And I leaned over to the pastor and said, you mind when he gets done if I take the service? He said, I wish to God you would. I'm a backslider. <laughs> Ballesteros have always had more guts than they've had brains. When the man got done, he was kind. He got done. I had everybody stand. I said, our good brothers travel a long ways to come here. We sure do thank the Lord. This man's preaching the burden of his heart. We want to thank him for coming. I said, our good brother is sincere. I said, his problem is, is that he's sincerely wrong. I said, my friend here does not believe in a great high priest. I said, ladies and gentlemen, there is no license for anybody to sin. But the book says, if you sin, we've got an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. What is an advocate? It's your defense attorney. And why would he be a defense attorney if there's no hope for us? The Bible said, who daily maketh intercession for us. Why would he be making intercession for us every day if there was no hope for you? I'm here to tell somebody, you've got your defense attorney. You've got somebody making intercession for you every day. Yes, there is hope for you. All you've got to do is find you a lamb. And I say, there is hope for you. Look at your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. If you believe what I'm saying, say, thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. I haven't got my first, haven't forgot my first story, but old Bob 
felt like there was no more hope for him. And so he quit even trying to go to church. Got this job working at this place where chemicals spilled. He got some kind of weird chemical on his hand. And for uh, he came time to go home, he, he tried hand cleaner, it didn't come off. He mixed things, it discolored his hand. He tried hand cleaner, it wouldn't come off. He tried uh, kerosene, gasoline, anything that ended, ended with zine and zine, it, it wouldn't come off. He was so ashamed, he went out to them with his wife, he kept his hands in his pocket because it was so discolored, so bad. A few days later at work, old man that wouldn't even go to church anymore because God won't have nothing to do with me. While he was at work, a machine snatched at him and cut his hand and blood just squirted everywhere. Bob got him a shop rag and wrapped it around there. Somebody said, call 911, Bob's hurt bad. I don't call, he's a tough guy. I don't call 911, I ain't hurt that bad. Just take me down to Midpoint. We have little places around town you can go to if you just need a few stitches or something. You don't have to wait 94 hours at the emergency room in the hospital. Can I get a witness? That's what I'm talking about. And they say, well, how bad is it, Bob? And he pulls off the shop rag, blood just running everywhere, squirting. And he takes that shop rag and he wipes the blood away to look at the cut. And then he just falls to his knees and begins to cry. With lifts his hands in the air, blood just going everywhere. And less than 10 seconds, he's talking in tongues as he's crying. Somebody said, call 911. They said, he stopped long enough and said, don't call 911. He said, well, we ain't never seen you cry, Bob. Why are you crying? And he pulled his hand down. He said, see, the stains are gone. The blood took the stains away. He said, I see that the blood of Jesus Christ is able to take away the sin of my life. I'm here to tell somebody, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, worship Him. Thank Him. Give Him glory. Give Him praise. Give Him honor. One day, John the Baptist is standing on the riverbank, and he sees Jesus coming by in a seamless robe, and he points, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away. Progressive, all you English students, get your head up. Progressive verb ending, E-T-H, meaning to continue to take away the sin of the world. And the Bible said about Verse 41 or so, chapter 1, John says, And immediately, they didn't wait till after lunch, and immediately two of John's disciples turned and followed Jesus. When I came to Fort Worth back in 1963 and preached my third revival here, I preached a sermon called Goodbye, John. I haven't preached it in years, but I've preached it for a lot of years, I did. And to me, it's just a simple repentance message. They didn't go up to John the Baptist and say, Look, John, we're going to follow this Jesus fella, but uh, if you don't mind giving me your cell phone number, your email address, you've got a business card, maybe one of them 
five or seven glossy photos suitable for framing signed it as Love Bob. No, they didn't even say Tuli do or Chow or nothing to John. They just turned and followed Jesus. This is what my heart's been looking for. This is what I've been wanting. I'm wanting that land that'll take away my sins. I'm sick and tired of living with guilt and condemnation. I'm sick and tired of the devil beating me down. I'm sick and tired of not being able to get my head up. Anybody in the house know what I'm talking about? I was 17 years old. I wasn't immoral. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I hadn't killed very many people. I did try to steal a car one time. Actually, I did steal the car, and I made it two blocks with it before I found out it didn't have a motor. And for a 14-year-old, that ain't bad. They should have thrown me in some reformatory or crematorium or something. Dad said he had a choice to send me to reform school or Bible school. That's supposed to be a joke, folks. And it really wasn't. I walk into the men's prayer room. There'd be about 60 men there and just be a blowing and a going, just a roar. A small, well, I say small, it's about the size of this whole pew. Start from the front pew to the back pew, just like that near to the wall. That's about the size of the men's prayer room. Those men be in there just to pray and walk. And you know when the sound just bounces off the walls, man, that, that's a, one of the most comfortable and secure feelings you can ever have in your life is just when you get in a red hot prayer meeting and you can feel that, just like you can all snuggle all up in them prayers and feel good. And I'd get down in every prayer meeting, I'd be snotting in a ball and crying. Oh, I still love to cry when I pray. I like that, but I, I, I also... I always did that because I spent all my time apologizing and repairing, repenting, and I was living with condemnation and guilt. I kept repenting hundreds of times, it seemed like, for the same thing over and over again. I wasn't making any progress. And I said, God, just one time it'd be good to come in here and lift my, close my eyes and lift my hands up as I walk through the door. And if all systems are gold, just start getting happy and praising you. Like, I see everybody else. They seem like they're doing good. I'm the one over here struggling. How come? What's the problem here? It didn't happen that night. didn't happen that week. didn't happen next week. About two or three weeks. I think about the second Sunday. I remember walking in there. I lift my hands up, and I started to check all the systems from the top to the bottom. And, honey, by the time it got down to my knees, they started to bend. By the time I got to my feet, they was coming up and going down. I, this is not politically correct, but I let out a Comanche war hoop. I started doing the hucklebuck and the stomp and the twist again like we did last summer, baby. I began to shout. And the brothers opened their eyes and looked around. They had never seen me shout. What was going on? I had found my lamb. I had gotten past condemnation. I had gotten past guilt. I want somebody in the house to realize you can get past that thing called condemnation. You can get past that thing called guilt.
Now, if you got something you need to repent over, I'm not trying to get something you can glaze it over with. But I'm saying after you have repented and done everything you know to do, don't let that dirty devil keep you down and keep you under. You just keep pointing to the Lamb and say, Look here, I'm not the one that's under inspection. I'm not the one that's going to examine. Just examine the Lamb. Don't examine me. Examine the Lamb. I'm saying goodbye to John. I'm saying goodbye to everything I had before I found him. The lamb can talk. The lamb speaks. The lamb was talking. While he's talking, some folks bring a woman to him. And they caught her in sin. She wasn't in sin by herself, but that's the only one they brought to him. Funny how we excuse some folks that we like and pick on those that we have a problem with, isn't it? Our enemies can do nothing right and our friends can do nothing wrong. Go learn what that means. And they come to Jesus and said, uh, Hey, uh, Master, check this out. Moses said, We can find one of them 12-inch concrete blocks we're supposed to chunk them at her. Bible said stoner. Moses said the stoner woman done what she's done. What do you say? And they all stand back there. Bricks. Blocks. Rocks. Boulders. Here, help me carry this, what do you think? I'm just waiting. As soon as you say we can throw it, we're going to throw it. Surely folk wouldn't come to church in Fort Worth with that kind of attitude. I want you to know God created a family here. Not where this is a rock-throwing contest. Every one of us has some kind of problem. Every one of us us needs help. Just needs help in different kind of areas. This is Mercy's house. This is where you come and find hope. This This is God's hospital. This is where you get help from the Holy Ghost. Have you ever been in the hospital in the daytime? Yes or no? Have you ever been in the hospital in the evening? Been in the hospital in the morning? Been in the hospital at night? Have you noticed that they always, somebody mopping, vacuuming, cleaning, sterilizing, dusting, washing, cleaning, sweeping in hospitals? And yet they still keep bringing in bleeding, Hey, don't make a mess on the floor. I mopped that an hour ago. Nobody says that. They just keep on cleaning and keep on bringing them in. Don't stop preaching holiness. Don't stop cleaning. (laughs) But this is still a place where if you need help, you can come. If you need all, if you need to recover, you can recover in God's house. Go ahead, Mama. I said you can recover in God's house. Somebody ought to get happy. 
Jesus looked at all those folks ready to throw rocks. And he looked at the woman. And he drops to his knees. Sometimes I've wished that I could know what he wrote, and other times I'm glad I don't know what he wrote. He could have written Martin Ballastero as a thief. Bill Davis is a liar. Bob Johnson is a god robber. Somebody else is an adulterer. A man lover. Didn't make any difference what he wrote. He turns and looks at the folks around him and said, Let him without sin cast the first stone. And he goes on back to writing, and then all of a sudden, folks remembered that Walmart was still open and they needed to stop. Somebody else remember, I promised Jethro I'd chew his horses this afternoon. I need to go. And somebody else remembered he was supposed to meet the boys down at the old fishing hole. And, and I'm going to paraphrase this, and this is dangerous. I don't want to do injustice to the Word of God. Jesus said, woman, where are thine accusers? Is what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it. He said, where are thine examiners? Because you can't accuse somebody until you first examine them. And she said, sir, I have no examiners. See, Jesus knew she couldn't pass inspection. So he was making himself, not only was he the lamb, but he was the great high priest. So the way he got around that was, not only was he willing to be the lamb, he was going to inspect himself. He was going to examine himself and pass inspection for her. So he said, where are thine examiners? And she said, sir, I have none. He said, neither do I examine thee. He knew she couldn't pass inspection, so he was going to pass it for her. He wasn't saying, live like you want to live. He said, now that you've been passed inspection, for, now I've passed inspection for you, go thy way and sin no more. Change your lifestyle. Don't live like that anymore. Once you find the forgiveness of God, change your ways. Confess your sins and forsake them. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. Oh, Jesus, help me. I'm not done, but I'm getting closer. The oldest... Old Testament tells one of the wisest men that ever lived. <laughs> you know, I can see them priests out there with them little clipboards, little white hats on, inspector, chief examiner written on the back of their white coat, walk around the clipboards examining the lambs as they come in. They used to work for the FDA or something, I don't know. When you look in the Old Testament, the wisest man that ever lived began to examine the lamb. He looked him over. Puts the cap on the top of his Mont Blanc sticks it in his pocket, and he says, he's altogether lovely. 
He's the fairest of 2,000. What are you saying, Solomon? I'm saying I've examined the Lamb and He passes inspection. By the time you get to the New Testament, standing in Pilate's judgment hall, the same little clipboard, the same little stance as Pilate stands there and he begins to check off things as he looks at Jesus. Puts the cap back on his pen and shakes his head and said, I find no fault in him. What are you saying? I'm saying the lamb passes inspection. I don't care if you're a critic, you still have to say he passes inspection. If you're a sinner, you've got to say the lamb passes inspection. If you're the devil, you've still got to say the lamb passes inspection. By the time, by the time we get to the book of Revelation, I think it's somewhere along about chapter 5, if I remember correctly, verses 8 and 9, the 4 and 20 elders are coming. They're looking, they've got some books and they can't open it. Because nobody is worthy to open the lambs. They're examining everybody and nobody can pass examination. <laughs> and they come to one and the lamb comes out of the throne. And they cast their hearts down there. Oh, they've got vials in their hands with, with filled with odors which are the prayers of the saints. <laughs> and they say, Thou alone art worthy. And they begin to sing a song of Moses and the Lamb. Stand up. Now I know that you sing songs here that come from His approval. If you don't, you're out of line. You understand that? And I'll get some help and put you down right now. I can't do it by myself, but I know where to get some help. Hadn't you got a sweet spirit? Look here. I was worship leader in my church. It's kind of hard to believe since I can't sing. I just had enthusiasm. That's all I had. What you looking at? And I was singing a song in church one night. I was about 20. Working for a mansion and a robe and a crown. Working for a mansion and a robe and a crown. After church... My dad said, do you notice nobody in our church has ever shouted or got a blessing on that song? No, I never noticed that. I said, if you're going to be a worship leader in my church, you need to know the stuff like that. Yes, sir. He said, you want to have church? Sing about him. You want to have revival? Talk about his name. Talk about his word. Talk about his love. Talk about his power. Talk about his mercy. Talk about his grace. Sing about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. They begin to sing about the Lamb, honey. Thou alone art worthy. By the time you get to chapter 19, I believe it is. Oh, but what, no, I don't even want to wait till I get there. This is just Ballesteros, so take it as Ballesteros. It's not even Bible, all right? So just deal with it. Anybody here ever keep a diary or journal for even a short time? Try not to. It might be used against you someday, but I believe the Lamb keeps a journal. This is just me. In my in my ignorance, my simple mindedness, I read about a thing called the Lamb's Book of Life. What if 
I'm going to give you a what if. What if it was just the Lamb's Journal? February the 2nd, 1944. I washed his sins away. Got your name down there. What if that was just a journal of what day you got saved? What day he forgave your sins and covered it with his blood? All I know is by the time you get to the to chapter 19, about verse 7 and 8, it says, talks about the marriage of the Lamb. And it said, The wife hath made herself ready. Her garments are clean and white. When though... Oh, I haven't got time to go on that, but when you had even been guilty of a capital offense, hey, that old Bob, that's Bob, I hear he killed Benjamin last week. Yeah, he did. Well, let's give us some rocks. We'll chunk them at him. Let's go kill him. Oh, look at him. He's got a white horse and he's wearing white clothes. The man's been redeemed. We can't touch him now. He's been forgiven. See, when we wear white over there, it's not going to be because we was perfect. It's just going to be because we were forgiven. He didn't do it for you. He did it for himself. That he might be able to present to himself a bride. I don't, I, I'm getting ready to close, and I don't know how to tell this, wrap it up any other way, except with a Reader's Digest stories, and I hate Reader's Digest stories, and it's the only Reader's Digest story I tell in my life. And I read it when I was a teenager, but I like it. It's my sermon. I'll preach it the way I want to. I was just a kid, and I read about a woman who was a beauty queen. I forget what state. Probably Texas. But she worked in Alaska. Was a nurse working in emergency room. She got off work and driving home. She had a head-on collision with a gasoline tanker. She finds herself face down in a snowbank, cold, still, quiet. She don't know why she's there. She thinks she's dead. She thinks that this is, so this is what it's like to be dead. She hears a siren later and voices, and she feels somebody pick her up, and she sees red in that snowbank and realizes that the front part of her face is still there in the snowbank. Her nose, her lips, her teeth, her chin, bone fractures. She, her face was mangled. She wanted to die. Face was wrapped in tubes going there for weeks. And when they got her to the hospital, nobody recognized her until they looked at the driver's license and saw who that she was. Doctor that had been her friend, they were too busy to date. They were trying to, I mean, they were friends, but they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend. They were trying to, to learn the crafts and you know, he was a resident there doing his best. So happened that I, I won't bore you with all the details, but months went on, surgery after surgery. This woman became emotionally dependent upon this doctor. She wanted to die, and he kept trying to work for her and help her. When he sent her home for a trial test to see if she could make it back in society, she asked, she, she thought she'd take the paper and and uh, the paper boy took one look at her when he came to collect and he screamed and threw his newspapers in the air and ran down the sidewalk and she called the doctor up and said, please help me die. I, I can't live like this. Little kids are afraid of me. I don't want to live. Please help me die. 
And he made a place in the back of his laboratory. By now he's moved out. She's got a place, and so she's back there working. She doesn't have to go out if people do stuff for her. Finally, the nose and the lips and stuff is beginning to come around. I don't know how long this process went, but finally one day he said, well, this is all that I can do. And she said, oh, I mean, I'm, I'm messed up. I've never been there. I'll never be able to get married now. No one's going to want to marry me. I, I was a beauty queen once, and now look at me. Little kids are still frightened of how I look. The doctor said, well, if you'll sign these waivers here, I'll try some things never tried on anybody before. She said, I'll, I, I'd be glad to. I don't want to live like this. And so she began to sign, and he started to operate. He fixed the nose and lips, screwed teeth in, fixed the chin, graftings here and there. They took pictures and put it in medical journals, and this doctor became instantly world famous a marvel of what he had done, what had the process there. One day, she walks into his office. She became a, a, a beautiful woman again, not looking the same, but easy to on the eyes nevertheless. Oh, she was so filled with self-assuredness and so felt so good about herself looking as good as she did. She walked in the office and he had a letter and said, Hey, look here. I've been offered to chair the biggest, most prestigious clinic in all of Europe because of the surgery performed on you. We're famous. She said, are you going to take it? He said, I think so. She said, take me with you. He said, oh, I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. And it wouldn't look right. You not being married and me not being married, going to Europe by ourselves. What would your parents think? My parents. What would people over there think? I couldn't let them surmise these things about you. She jumped up and turned and ran crying out of the office. He got up out of his chair, ran after her, and he caught her, turned around and took her by the hands, and he said, I have loved you from the first day I ever laid eyes on you. And when you got in a wreck, he said, we were too busy to, to develop a relationship. We were applying ourselves to our craft. He said, but when you had your accident, my world shattered and fell at my feet. He said, this is probably not ethical nor professional, but I want you to know that the operations I performed on you weren't just for you. I did it for me. And he turns the face towards the mirror and said, see this face? I made this face because I like this face. This is what's attractive to me. Hopefully and to you. He said, it wouldn't look right for you to go to Europe with me, you being single and me being single. And he drops down on his knees and he proposes, kisses her hand. He said, would you make me the happiest man in the world? Would you marry me and be my wife? I love you. They got married and they went to Europe and headed the most prestigious clinic there. To me, as a teenager, I still saw a spiritual application in that story. You see, one day, he found us. We were wrecked by sin. Sin had messed us up. And it wasn't just a one-night surgery. It took a heap of preaching to get us where we are today. It took a lot of preaching to bring us to the point where we're at today. Oh, thank God for preaching. We're saved by preaching. Oh, 
You look in the mirror, what you see in the mirror is not what you used to look like. There's a new man walking in my shoes. He don't do the things I used to do. Oh, but one day he said, I'm going away. And we say, take me with you. And he said, no, it wouldn't look right. You not being married and me not being married. We didn't seem to understand. But he said, he took our face and he stuck us in the mirror and said, look at this face. I made you like I wanted you to look. I made you into the bride I wanted you to be. And I'm going to come back and get you one of these days and take you home to be with me. I'm trying to tell you, honey, it wasn't about, it wasn't about you getting yourself well. The Lamb did it so He could have a bride. And if you will find a perfect Lamb, I'm telling you, you're going to wind up being the bride of Christ. That ought to make somebody happy. Stand with me right now while we praise the Lord and magnify His name. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I preached a very long time and I want to thank you for your patience. But I don't know how to tell you any other way to tell you that I I can't pass inspection. I've been trying to live this life filled with the Holy Ghost since 1958. September. 23rd. Wish I could tell you, Pastor, that I've always been perfect. But it was in an altar where I got saved, in an altar where I stay saved. I found out that you don't solve your problems by staying home from church. But you bring your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. You never will. Oh, Lord, I'm going to say something here. I pastored a man who for 50 years never took communion because he said he wasn't worthy. He's right. And he never will be worthy. So the Lamb's going to pass inspection for him because he can't pass it by himself. Folks, if some of you can get what I'm trying to say tonight... Well, we have a song I'd like for our church family just to come. Get your lamb. Bring the lamb with you down here tonight. You want the Holy Ghost? You want victory over a sin problem? You need deliverance from something? I'm encouraging you. Come and find the lamb. Come and get the lamb here tonight. There's hope at an altar. There's help at an altar. Hallelujah. Why don't we just lift our hands and walk, as, as we walk down to the altar tonight. With your hands still in the air, just walk on down to this altar. Oh, there's help for you here tonight. Say that yes to Him. Hallelujah. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can be ruled again? Nothing but the blood of Oh, 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 oh,
How we are saved. 